My Govanen, welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek. And if you have ever wondered, am I pronouncing this name right? Or is this movie the one getting the pronunciation correct? Or is this movie the one getting the pronunciation correct? Then this is the video for you. I did a video on pronunciation of names and words in Middle-earth a long, long time ago. But I made a few mistakes in it and... I didn't really cover as much detail as I could have, so I am updating that now. And this time I'm going to do it in two parts. This first video is going to be focusing on pronunciation specifically of Elvish names. And then the follow-up video will be on, like, not... I don't want to say Manish because that's misleading. Because Western or Common Tongue is kind of Manish. But... The Adunaic or Dwarvish or other non-Elvish languages and their pronunciations. So this one up front is going to deal with Elvish and that's going to kind of set the ground rules for a lot of it and the rest of it's going to be kind of modifications or variations on those main themes. But that's why this one is coming first and why it's going to be longer because this one's going to really delve into most of the main rules and then when we get to the Adunaic words and the Dwarvish words that's going to have mostly the same rules but some variations and some changes so this one's going to be focused on focusing on Elvish and the main tricky part here is going to be distinguishing between Sindarin and Quenya because the two do have slightly different things going on when it comes to diphthongs for example but we'll get to that when we get to that. First of all, let's cover some basics about letters. <clears throat> so first of all, your basic consonants are mostly like you would expect in English, except unlike in English where most letters can have potentially two, well, maybe not most letters, but many letters can have potentially two different pronunciations. Say, like, G can be G or J. Here, they're always going to be one sound, much like in Spanish. So, for example, the C is always K. It doesn't matter if it's followed by an E or an I or a Y or what it's followed by. It's always K. So, Celeborn, not Celeborn. And if you watched a certain movie and you might have gotten that wrong for a long time. <laughs> CH is never CH. It's always CH, like the old Greek letter key. An unusual one is the combination of D and H, which pops up occasionally. The most prominent example I can think of is Karadras. Notice there I used a V, not a Karadras. It's not two separate sounds put together. It's actually meant to represent the soft th sound so instead of th like in thin it's th as in then so that's your dh f is the rare exception to the rule that i mentioned earlier where a consonant generally only has one sound it does usually sound like th except at the end of a word it can actually sound like v so the nindalv is not it's not nindalf it's nindalv and you might wonder if this applies to Gandalf. It does not. Uh, but we'll cover that in the next video because Gandalf is not an elvish name. Keep that in mind.
H by itself is just just like it is in English. There is one little weird rule where if H is followed immediately by T, it has the sound of HT. So it's kind of like CHT. And remember, CH has the H sound. So if you have a HT, it's actually going to be pronounced like it's a CHT. And this is just like a spelling convention. It's not really anything weird about the letter per se, but it's like the the name Rohan, for instance, is actually a kind of a dumbed-down version of what should be Rohan. This is kind of the same thing in a way. It's just taking out the C, and but you're supposed to know that it's not HUT. Here's an actual vowel, but, has, but which has a consonantal value in, in certain contexts, and that's the letter I. The letter I standing alone before another vowel, such as in Yoreth, has the sound Y, that Y has in Y. It doesn't sound like Eoreth. It's not, you know, two separate vowels put together in that case. It's I is just used as a Y. It's just spelled with an I instead of a Y because Tolkien was very particular about the spelling aesthetics of words. K has the same value as C, but we don't ever really see it in Elvish, so I'm kind of skipping over that one. L is pretty simply L, but it has a few kind of weird variations. So just to read from the actual appendix dealing with this, because it's really, I can't explain it better than just reading it, L was to some degree palatalized between E or I and a consonant, or finally after E or I. So, for example, if the elves were to see the word bell or fill, they would probably pronounce them as bail or feel. So, if you've ever encountered somebody, say, with a really strong southern accent, and you know how they tend to add syllables into words, <laughs> and I say this as a southerner, by the way, uh, it, so imagine, like, you're... you're traditional Georgian Southern male, right, they kind of add a, a syllable into that, so it's kind of like adding just a little bit of a half syllable almost, bail, feel, so it would be, and that's only between E or I and another consonant, or at the end of a word after E or I, and then there's also the weird example of LH, which is a voiceless L, which is kind of hard to explain, but the easiest way I can think of to explain it is in a normal L sound, you're going to get a L, L, you're going to have almost kind of a vowel sound following it, but here it's going to be without any kind of voice to it, no, nothing that could resemble anything like a vowel sound, so L, instead of L, it's just if you can even hear that. So he uses as an example, like if you have a word starting with SL, sled, sl, sl, you can kind of get that L sound a little down if you kind of think about how sl, sl sounds without the L, L, that you don't have that kind of vowel sound attached to it. The NG combination is much like the NG combination in. English, it tends to just be ng, but at the end of a word is pronounced kind of like just ng. 
so we don't really kind of pronounce the two separately. It just becomes kind of a one sound type of thing. And he points out that in Quenya, and this is one of those differences between Quenya and Sindarin, it could be even at the beginning of a word. So, for example, the Noldor, technically, that word Noldo or Noldor should be pronounced Noldor or Noldo, which is really difficult for a native English speaker, at least in my experience. But in the Third Age, the pronunciation had kind of worn down to just be the N because it was also transcribed in that way. So it doesn't really matter for our purposes. You don't really have to worry about that, but that is kind of a rule. So if you want to be hyper-technical in your pronunciation of Quenya words beginning with N, you'll pronounce them Noldo if you can. So PH is another one where I'm going to read from the text because his explanations are kind of just very idiosyncratic in a way. The PH has the same sound as F. It's used in four cases. A, where the F sound occurs at the end of a word because, again, remember, F at the end of a word is actually V. B, where the F sound is related to or derived from a P, such as in Iferianath, the halflings, which comes from perion, but when you pluralize it, it becomes ferion. C, in the middle of a few words, where it represents a long FF from PP, as in the Ephel, or which is outer fence, so, for example, the Ephel Duath mountain range, and D, in Adunaic and Western, as in our Farazon. So, you'll see it in non-Elvish, you'll see it in cases where the the F sound is derived from a P, and it's just changed because of the conjugation or other spelling change of the word to meet whatever criteria. And at the end of a word, if it's meant to be a F as opposed to a V, which would be an F. So the combination Q-U is qua. It's always qua in Elvish. R is a trilled R. So if you want to get you know, really precise with your pronunciation, it's Aragorn, which is, you know, this is one place where the Peter Jackson movies kind of really nailed it, because every time you hear the ring voice saying Aragorn, it's not Aragorn, it's Aragorn, right? Now, you don't want to necessarily trill it too hard, but that sound is there. And another point here, it mentions that in other languages, such as in Dwarvish and in Orcish, the trill is actually more guttural. So what you might find in, say, a French word. So, travail, which would be the French word for work. That R trill is coming back from the back of the throat, not so much the teeth in the front of the tongue. But the elves find this sound distasteful, apparently. So, just so you know. R-H is a voiceless R, so it's just R but not with the uh kind of vowel sound like we talked about with L. So it's just... So, again, it's kind of hard to get that concept, but if you think of... Think of, like, the way that RL might sound, Earl, you kind of have a... It's hard to pronounce the RL sound without something of a vowel sound in it, but then think of SR, you can kind of do that without adding in a vowel sound. So that's R-H. Or in Quenya, H-R. So again, 
Oh, and speaking of quenya, going back to QU, the QU combination occurs a lot in quenya, not in cinderin. So if you're trying to figure out, is this word cinderin or quenya? That can be one clue. If you see the QU combination, it's not cinderin. S is always s, not z. So don't ever pronounce it like it's a z. SH is sh, just like it is in English. TH is always th, as I mentioned earlier, not th. And that's that's a good example of voiced versus voiceless. Th is voiceless. You don't really ever hear like a vowel sound with it. But th, you can kind of hear like a hum in the back of that, and so it's voiced. So if that helps you think about the way to do L's and R's voiced and voiceless more than the explanation I gave earlier, maybe that helps. But that's, you know, TH is always the TH, whereas DH is the TH. Another consonantal combination is TY, which is basically T, and which will be found instead of the CH sound, because there is no CH sound in Elvish. So if you were to say, kind of take the word child from English, an Elvish speaker would probably pronounce it child because they don't have the ch. The letter V sounds like v just as it does in English, but it never comes at the end of a word because we've already got F coming at the end of the word sounding like v. And again, this is kind of like a spelling aesthetics thing. You know, if you take the Nindalv, which is N-I-N-D-A-L-F, imagine how weird that would look if you put V in place of the F. It would look kind of ugly, so the F looks nicer there in a way, but it still sounds like a V. So W is just like W in English, which is W, w. but a, a WH or HW is much like WH in English. And again, this is like a voiced versus voiceless thing. That adding on of kind of the breath with it lets you avoid the the hum in the back of your throat that sounds kind of like a vowel sound. So the letter Y in Quenya is a consonant and acts just like it does in English. Whereas in Sindarin, it's actually a vowel, which we will cover when we handle vowels. And we've already kind of covered some combinations like the T-Y, T sound. There's also the H-Y, which is H, like in the word huge, which in our language, of course, is just spelled H-U-G-E. But in, you know, an Elvish word, it would actually be spelled with an H and a Y sound to represent those different consonants. A few more rules regarding consonants. Anytime you see a double consonant, such as in the Pelennor fields, where you've got those two ends close to the end of this, the word, that represents a longer version of that sound. So it kind of almost acts as a splitting up of it into two syllables in a way. So Pelennor, not Pelennor. You, you know, kind of pronounce that, that consonant twice in a way. And you'll see that in a lot of different places. There's also a note here that Cinderin really favors certain combinations like the NG, ND, and MB, so N, N, MB. Uh, and in 
that was kind of favored in all elder and languages at earlier stage, but they suffered a lot of changes. For example, in Sindarin, MB just becomes M, but it's still counted as a long consonant. So in any Sindarin word, an M is always a long consonant, and that will have effects on how we pronounce words when we get to that. So uh, it's therefore written MM in cases where the stress might be in doubt, so you'd never have to worry about that. You don't have to necessarily keep that rule in mind for purposes of how to pronounce the words, but just bear in mind that M is always a long consonant, which is almost natural anyway. It's hard to pronounce M without it sounding long. I mean, you can kind of go moth and have a really short M at the beginning of a of a word, but in the middle of a word, it tends to be hard to do that. NG remains unchanged except initially and finally where it just became N or uh, something like that. And then ND became NN usually, such as in Enor, which is a derivation from Endor, which is another word for Middle Earth. So in Quenya, it's Endore, but it remains ND at the end of a fully accented monosyllable such as Thond which means root, so the Morthond River in uh, Gondor. And also before R, such as in Andros, Kair Andros, the island in the middle of the uh, Anduin River. Now let's handle the vowels. The vowels are a little bit interesting because, again, much like in Spanish or similar languages, they only really have one sound as a general rule. So the I is I, not I, not E although a long I will kind of sound like that. The E sounds like an E. The A sounds like a A. A never sounds like A. It never sounds like A. Just get that out of your head. And U sounds like U, and O sounds like O. And that's that's it as far as the vowels go. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Cinderin uses Y as a vowel, and it uses it kind of like he describes it as a French U, kind of U. So it's a little bit different, and this is, there's actually a funny story from the behind-the-scenes uh, stuff in the Peter Jackson movies where Theoden has to, you know, use the word for the flower that he's holding right after he's buried his son. It's Simbel Muna, and so he, he talks about how they had to coach him over and over again how to get that E sound, because it is kind of unnatural for most English speakers. We don't have words like that in English for the most part, so it's a little bit weird, but if you've ever taken French or some other languages that have a similar sound, it might be a little bit easier. Those are your basic vowel sounds, but you can get some of those other vowel sounds through diphthongs. Diphthongs, of course, if you remember from way back when you studied English as a kid, are when you put two vowels together and get generally speaking, one sound. So, for example, E-I is a diphthong that's going to sound like A. And the reason it sounds like A is because you're really just putting the E and E sounds together. If you think about it, A is not actually a single sound. It's two sounds elided together. So, A, A, and you just, you think of it as one sound, but it's really not. It's really two sounds strung together that kind of go together so naturally that we just tend to think of it as a single sound. So that's 
one example, but he goes into some detail on the diphthongs because here we get some differences between Quenya and Cinderin. Before we get to diphthongs, though, he mentions that in Quenya, the long E or O sounds, and I'm using the letter here, not the, so like, E or O, the long versions of those, when correctly pronounced as by the Eldar, were tenser and closer than the short vowels. I'm actually not 100% sure what that means, because that seems like it's making them shorter sounds. <laughs> uh, but it's usually not that important. Uh, Cinderin, on the other hand, kind of modified the, the U, so it's kind of also in Cinderin like the French U, but that's it tends to be done by spelling it with a Y. So it was partly a modification of O and U, partly derived from older diphthongs EU or IU. For this sound, Y has been used, as in ancient English. So he just basically says, like, the normal spelling would have been a U, but for purposes of the way I've spelled it in this book, I'm using a Y. So you don't really have to know that distinction so much, as long as you remember that that's how the Y sounds when it's a vowel sound in a Cinderin word. Although in Gondor, the Y is usually just pronounced like an I. Long vowels are usually marked with the acute accent, so for purposes of you, it'd be like, marking it up so you you take your little if you take your pencil above your vowel and you start and you draw up to the right for me or for up to the right for you that's the acute accent the grave accent as they would call it in french is the other way around you would start at the bottom and then draw up and to the left which is a different thing so don't don't worry about that the main you're almost never going to see that in tolkien anyway but the acute accent is just that little slice up to the right above a vowel. Those long vowels make a difference in pronouncing words, so this is kind of important. The long vowels in Cinderin in stressed monosyllables are marked with the circumflex. So in other words, if you have just a single syllable word that's got a long vowel in it, it's actually going to have a circumflex, with the circumflex is in the book, usually notated by just like the little triangle without a base over the letter. So, Dune, for example, is one where he says it. Uh, so the word Dunedon will have a ac the acute accent over the U, but if you had just the word Dune, which means west, it would have the circumflex over it instead. The circumflex in other languages for example, Adunaic and Dwarvish has no special significance. It's just used to mark these out as alien languages, as is the use of the letter K, for instance. Final E is never silent, as it is very often in English. It's not to make the vowel preceding it longer. It always is pronounced. So it's not, you know, you pronounce it Manwe, Orome, you know, those names that end in E that, E is always a pronounced vowel. Uh, let's see. The groups ER, IR, and UR are not intended to be pronounced as fern, fur, and fur, but rather as air, ear, and ur. So he's just giving examples to explain how these vowels always kind of have the same sound value. ER is not er. It's, you know, so it's not aomer, it's aomer, right? because that's the eh, the eomer, 
you know, you got to have that eh sound in the E. It's not, it doesn't get lazily kind of dropped out like we do in English. So here's where we get to some interesting diphthong differences. In Quenya, U-I, O-I, A-I, and I-U, E-U, and A-U are diphthongs. So pretty much anything you could put in front of an I for a vowel and pretty much anything you could put in front of a U for a vowel except O are diphthongs, so they're pronounced in one syllable. And any other pair of vowels is going to be pronounced as two syllables. So for example, he says that you might have ea, which is E-A. That's not a diphthong in Quenya, and so you cannot pronounce E-A like in bear. It's ea. It's two syllables. And this is usually noted, as he points out, by putting the two dots over the E. In Sindarin, the diphthongs are written A-E-A-I-E-I-O-E-U-I and A-U. So there are differences in which combinations count as diphthongs depending on whether you're talking about Quenya or Sindarin. There are some overlaps, obviously, here. So, for example, the uh, AU is an overlap, the UI is an overlap, but most of these are actually not. So AE, EI, and OE, well, it's about half and half, actually, I guess, because there's six in each, and three of them don't overlap. So the ones that do overlap, you've got AI, you've got UI, and you've got AU. Those are always diphthongs, no matter which language you're talking about. But in Sindarin, you're not going to find, for example, OI, you'll only find OE. You're not going to find IU either, and you're not going to find EU. So those don't happen. Uh, let's see, the final, if you have the word, the a word ending in AU, it's actually written AW. And an example of this is the kind of Aral. So the, the Horn of Boromir was obtained from, you know, the horn of an actual cow in Aral. And it looks like Aral in English because it ends in A-W, but it's not aw, it's ow, because A-U is pronounced ow, which we're going to get to in a second here. So the diphthongs were always falling diphthongs, which is stressed on the first element and composed of the simple vowels run together. Thus, A-I, E-I, O-I, U-I are intended to be pronounced respectively as the vowels in Rai, so A-I sounds like I, again, I, I. Uh, a, uh, the E-I is A, the O-I is Oi, and the, U, the U-I is as in Ruin, which I'm not sure I understand that example. Maybe in British English it's a little bit different, but I always thought of Ruin as having two different syllables, and that's not really a diphthong. Maybe that's just me. Uh, so it's, it's like the Anduin River, I always pronounce with basically three syllables, which I, I don't know if that's, if I'm getting something wrong there, or if that's just me thinking of U-I as something a little bit different than Tolkien is, because as I mentioned, all of these sounds are really two sounds put together. Maybe it's just that the UI to me has always been such a natural, this is just two sounds, whereas we learn growing up so often that the A sound is its own sound rather than a diphthongal sound. 
that it's just like stuck in my brain and I can't unthink it. I don't know, but as far as I'm concerned, it it's just Uwe, so it's the Anduin River. I just t- tend to try to pronounce it a little bit faster, if you if you want to put it that way, than I would otherwise. And he, uh, and then he says A U is loud or how, not laud or haw. So as I mentioned, it's not the kind of araw, it's the kind of arau. So, and he says that there's nothing in English really closely corresponding to either A-E, O-E, or E-U. The A-E and O-E may be pronounced as in I or oi. So, this is one where I've kind of made a conscious effort to try to get right. And you may notice when I do my intro, I probably don't do a great job of it, but when I say my govanen, I'm trying not to say my govanen, I'm trying to say my govanen. Can you tell the difference? Am I good at that? Probably not. (laughs) Uh, But using the logic of everything else he's already given us at this point, the A-E would be I, not I-E, right? So it would be as a similar sound, but not quite the same. And that's why he says you can basically treat it like A-I and O-I. So again, the, the O-E would be similar. Instead of O-E, it would be O-E. Does it make a huge difference? No. And Tolkien obviously knows that the average reader is not going to put that much time investment into figuring this out. <laughs> the only one he doesn't really explain, of course, is the E-U, which I suppose would be O-U, which... Again, that almost makes it into something like the cinder and Y, so you can kind of probably just use that kind of a sound if you're wondering what to do, but that's one that very rarely pops up anyway, so probably not a big deal. All right, now that we've covered basic sounds, we have to figure out the stress pattern of words, and here's one where I've actually had an argument with a guy who really wanted to split hairs a little bit too much because, well, we'll get to it. Uh, The accent of an elvish word or the stress is not usually marked unless by happenstance. Uh, So in the elvish languages, it's determined by the form of the word, not, you know, in Greek, for example, if you look at Greek words or at least old Greek words, I'm not sure if modern Greek does this, but in old Greek words, the the stress of the word would be marked by an accent. It would tell you, this is the one to stress. And I didn't like Greek because the way they stressed their words to me was so weird. To me, the words in Elvish, the way they're stressed, is actually quite natural, and I like it. So in two-syllable words, it's almost always going to be on the first syllable. That's the first thing he tells us. In longer words, it's going to fall in the last syllable but one, where it contains a long vowel, a diphthong, or a vowel followed by two or more consonants. So in other words, if your word, if your second to last syllable has a long vowel, one that has an accent, in which case this is where I was talking about, by happenstance, the stressed syllable is actually marked. <laughs> Uh, or a diphthong, which counts basically as a long vowel because you're putting two vowel sounds together. Or if your vowel sound is followed by two consonants. Now, here's where it gets a little bit tricky because you have to remember what counts as two consonants. TH is not really two consonants because it's really just one sound. 
in G is two consonants because he says in the middle of a word that's going to be, you know, pronounced as in finger, right? It's ng, not n as in sing. So anytime you have an ng, that's going to count as two consonants for purposes of this rule because by definition we're already looking at the second to last syllable. So there's a syllable following it, so the ng is obviously not a final ng that sounds like n. So that's kind of easy to remember. The ng is always like that. But dh, th, those, and ch for that matter, these are not two consonants. These are like one consonant apiece. So you have to kind of keep that in mind. Sometimes it doesn't really matter because there's going to be another consonant thrown in that keeps it from making a difference. But just bear that in mind. So... Again, where there's a long vowel, a diphthong, or a vowel followed by two or more consonants, where that last syllable but one, or the second to last syllable as we might tend to say, is, as often it is, a short vowel followed by only one or even no consonants. So if it's like one of those cases where you put two vowels together that don't form a diphthong, so like ea, although that's only two syllables, so that's not a great example, uh, then the stress falls on the third to last syllable. These are uh, especially favored in Quinya, he says. So <clears throat> he gives some examples of how to do this, and he capitalizes the stressed syllables. So, for example, in Isildur, he capitalizes the I because it's the second syllable that's stressed. And the reason is because it's even though it's a short I it is followed by two consonants, the L and the D. Then in another one he says Orome, because short O followed by a single consonant, M. Eresea, because the two S's, not because of the two S's actually, because it's actually the E-A at the end is two different vowels. It's not a diphthong, so it's actually the, and this is actually a good example, the A-A was a bad example, but Eresea is actually a good example. Feanor, again, that F-E and then the A. The E-A is not a diphthong, so it's Feanor. Ankalima, Elintari. And here's, here's one where it's actually important to know about the long vowel rule, because Elintari, it marks the A as along with the acute accent, so it's Elintari, right? And then you get Denethor, Perianath, and the reason you get perianath is because perianath, you get the double N. And so you kind of pronounce it twice in a way. Ekthelion, pelargir, silivrin. So pelargir is another example where you have one that's, it's two consonants following the vowel. So A and then RG. And the way I tend to think of those is... It's like you go pel r gear. So if you can kind of separate those two consonantal sounds, then you just kind of stop after the one and go on after the other. Then the the one that you just pronounced is that's going to be your stressed syllable. So the reason I got into an argument about this was because the I don't remember what the argument was about. It was a particular word he said I was mispronouncing, but he said I was pronouncing it wrong because the rule was you know, the, the two consonant following a short vowel rule was 
the the first consonant was in the same syllable as the vowel, but the second consonant was in the next syllable, and so it didn't count because the rule is where the last syllable but one has a short vowel followed by two consonants. So the way he read that was if the both consonants are have to be in the same syllable as the short vowel. I don't think that rule makes any sense. And for example, Isildur. Does anybody actually pronounce that as Isildur? You you see what I'm saying? Like you pronounce it as if the consonants are isildur or maybe isildur, but you don't pronounce it isildur. That's not how we break up syllables, really. So I don't like I said I don't remember the word we were arguing about specifically, but that was the point he was trying to make, and I just bring that up only to say that rule doesn't really make any sense. At the end of the day, <clears throat> he's not talking about the consonants being in the same syllable as the vowel. He's just saying, second to last syllable, short or long vowel? Short. Okay. Is it followed by two consonants or one? Two? Okay. Second to last syllable gets stressed. That's that's the way you do that. This gets a little bit weird <clears throat> in some cases because you will find words where it seems highly unnatural to place the stress in the position that seems to be dictated by the rules. And my favorite example of this is Nargothrond, or Nargothrond, depending on how you want to do this. And the reason I struggled with this for a long time was because if you read any of the poems he wrote where that name pops up very frequently, you can tell from the meter that the stress falls on Nar. Gothrond, not Nargothrond, because he actually will have very rhythmic poems in which you must pronounce Nar with the stress, and then kind of Gothrond. You know, you just cannot pronounce it Nargothrond without ruining the meter of the poem. But by all the rules, it seems clear that it ought to be Nargothrond, because the O, it may be short, but it's followed by a TH, which is one consonant, fair enough, but then also a R. So you've got two consonants following that O, which means it ought to be stressed on the O, right? I was having this, I asked a question about this in the my Tolkien YouTubers Discord group, and there was one guy who was very helpful. I don't know if you'd want me to name him, but um, he knows who he is, so credit to you, sir. He's done a little bit more study into this more deeply, like reading the actual, uh, I forget the name of the journal that, that gets published with all of Tolkien's like linguistic notes. Is it the Parma El de Lambaron? I forget. Anyway, point being, he mentioned that there's notes about this, and the reason it's pronounced in that way in the poem is because it's anglicized, effectively. So, like, a natural English thing to do is pronounce it Nargothrond. If you just look at that word with an English eye, that's what it looks like. That's the way I pronounced it a long time before I really looked into the rules and really studied it and got an idea of, okay, here's how it's supposed to go, and then I started pronouncing it. You may have noticed, if you've watched this channel long enough, for a long time I pronounced it Nargothrond. And then I started reading the poems again, and I was like, but that's clearly Nargothrond. And then I kind of started pronouncing it Nargothrond again. But anyway, this guy pointed out, 
it's actually Norgothrond, but in the anglicized English poem, because it's the poem's written in English, he just kind of goes with what would a natural English speaker do, and it's Nargothrond. Because that's, you know, the average English speaker looking at that word, that's how they're going to pronounce it, let's be honest. So, technically, the pronunciation should be Nargothrond, but probably doesn't matter that much, and you can pronounce it how you want. <laughs> I will probably continue to waver between the two, because this is one of the few cases in which Elvish words don't it really match my aesthetics. Like, my aesthetic preference for this would be to pronounce it Nargothrond, because it just seems more natural. But my perfectionism and, and desire to get things exactly right wants me to pronounce it Nargothrond, because that's the rule, dang it. <laughs> so, there are tricky cases like this in Elvish words where it seems weird, but if you kind of keep that in mind, that if you're reading it and it's in a poem, and for that reason it seems to have a certain meter to it, it may just be because he's anglicizing the word, in a sense. And another one where this could possibly be the case is Gil-Galad. I remember the Tolkien professor had a discussion about this in one of his classes, I don't remember where, but he was talking about the fact that he always pronounced it Gil-Galad, uh, or Gilgalad, or, hang on a minute. Gilgalad is technically the way it should be pronounced, so he would pronounce it Gilgalad, right? And this is a way that I used to pronounce it too, but there is a poem, which I think it's the one that Sam recites, which clearly makes it Gilgalad. Gilgalad was an elven king, right? This is the way the meter of that poem works. It forces you to say Gilgalad was an elvish, right? So, and that's the same thing with the Nargothron thing. And he says that, well, that clearly makes it, you know, it's the second syllable that gets it. So, And it's a little bit of a weird case, too, because it's Gil-Galad. So it's technically two words, but because it's hyphenated, do you treat it like it's one word for purposes of stress? According to the poem, the second syllable gets that stress. And when I say second syllable, I mean gal. But is that only because it's in the poem? Could it be that it's really not supposed to be that, and it's just done that way because... Here, I don't think so, because Gilgalad is, again, not really natural to an English speaker. So I think here he's actually maintaining the correct stress in the poem because it actually fits. So, you know, that it, it's debatable, but take it for what you will. At the end of this section, he notes what I've already kind of pointed out, which is that in Sindarin, DHTH and CH are single consonants. And in the original script as he would say. So, you know, you've seen Elven script and whatnot, like the ring inscription and all that stuff. When you see that, those sounds would be represented by a single character, not by two, as we do in English, because we just don't have separate letters for each different sound. That's not the way we do it in English, unfortunately. Which, I, I much prefer a phonetic alphabet to the one we have, because it makes things way easier in terms of learning how to pronounce things, but be that as it may, he kind of just finishes by noting that, which I've already pointed out. So that pretty much wraps up the Elvish, the Elvish section of this appendix. So that's going to be my first video. In the next video, I will get into like the other languages and some other weird things that go on 
and well, I'm not going to preview it, but we'll get into things like the common speech, the Adunaic, and the Dwarvish, although there's not a whole lot of stuff to say about all of those specifically, but it's enough that I didn't want to confuse it with this here. Just remember, for purposes of what I'm talking about in this video, these rules, many of them will carry over, but in terms of following all of these rules, they'd apply they apply really only to elvish words, so don't hyper-focus on pronouncing everything like this. This is one area where I kind of messed up in my original video because I took these rules as like gospel for anything that doesn't look like a natural English word and applied it to everything, like Gandalf and Isengard and nope, don't 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 go that route. That's that's a mistake. So I will be correcting some of that in my next video. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this video, got some good learning out of it. Uh, hopefully, maybe you can correct some mistakes that you've been making in your pronunciation. The movies all get something wrong, so if you've kind of based your pronunciation off any of the movies at any point, you're probably doing something a little bit off. But, you know, if this helped you, hope uh, and as I hope it did, you know, please give a thumbs up, share it around for anybody else who'd be interested in learning how to pronounce things correctly. And if you want to follow me for more Tolkien-related content, make sure you subscribe. Click the bell icon on YouTube to make sure you don't miss any content. You can find my alternate platform links in the description below as well as social links. Speaking of which, follow me on Twitter for occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions. And you can find support links below as well. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namariye.